Jen Northington, and this is a very special episode of Tar Valen or Bust, a Wheel of Time podcast. As you know, we're rereading the books in advance of the TV show adaptation's release, talking about all our favorite and not-so-favorite moments, and digging into all things Wheel of Time. And as promised in a previous episode, we have done an interview with our musician friend, Brian Dunn, about the music of The Eye of the World, which we have just finished talking about. So this episode is that interview. It's going up first for our Patreon supporters who are amazing and we love so much. Thank you so, so much for your support of the show. Uh, if you want to check that out, you can go to patreon.com slash or bust. And then this will go up for everybody else uh, about a week later. So yeah, I hope you enjoy. Brian and I really geeked out and had a lot of fun. And I hope it's as fun to listen to as it was to record. Thanks again to Brian for coming on the show. And here you go. I'm Jen Northington, and here on Tar Valen or Bust, we have a very exciting special interview with musician Brian Dunn. Hello, Brian. Hello. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> so... So let's see. Let's set some context here. So you and I have known each other since I was a bookseller in New York, which was like the 2010s. Yes. We don't need to go into exact dates. I no, think. no. But Just around then. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, you were also part of the epic Twitter game of world, you know, Wheel of Time, Fuck, Mary Kill. Is that right? Um. I don't know if it was the fuck Mary Kill game. I think it was a, a dream casting oh. that uh, that we got into. Yeah, um, mostly it. you, me, and Pretty. Yes, I was gonna say because I knew that the three of us had bro down about Wheel of Time on Twitter at some point <laughs> um, early uh, on I in our friendship. I stand by my uh, Naveen Andrews for Lan oh, theory or yeah. casting, although although I think he might be a little old now. I don't know. Not, not that I'm not looking forward to seeing Daniel Henney in the role. Yeah. There were so many good potential options there. And Naveen Andrews is a killer choice for that role, for sure. But yeah, I'm excited to see. I just, I'm just excited to see it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whenever it happens. Yeah, whenever it happens. Uh, so, so you are a musician. Talk to us about the kind of music that you do. Uh, well, I'm a singer-songwriter, which means mostly, for, for the most part, um, I sit around and make up songs on my guitar, and then I take them to um, producing partners in a studio. And so I don't think it's necessarily genre-specific, although singer-songwriter kind of counts as its own genre. So there's a little bit of country, there's a little bit of rock, um, a little bit of pop influence there as well. Yeah, and you were kind enough to help us out with the music for our intro-outro which, I did. Yeah. And those were pieces you had already done? Yes. Yes. They, they, those were excerpts from a record called Sweetheart of the Music Hall that came out a few years ago. Nice. Um, but in the course of doing that, we you like wrote some songs based on I, Wheel of Time. I want to talk about I, that. Okay. Let's talk about that. Um, that was kind of a fun exercise for me since that was the first um, my first attempt at doing anything like that. As as we are both fantasy fans and just fiction fans in general, sometimes you'll occasionally see 
lyrics in the body of a text and you're you'll wonder to yourself well i wonder what that would sound like um and this time as i was considering what to to give you guys i thought oh well it might be nice to come up with melodies based on text of the actual book and since most of uh most of the song titles and and lyrics included in the wheel of time seem along the lines of irish folk um i tried to come up with some tunes for the included lyrics that uh, sort of fit which is pretty pretty uh pretty common genre for me as i grew up listening to irish folk since that's my dad's only real preferred form of music as well as <laughs> that and civil war songs and both of those will get into a little more i suspect as we continue this discussion yeah that's so interesting um Gosh, I have like so many questions about that. I'm trying to think of where to start. So, so we just wrapped up a discussion in the previous episode of a bunch of chapters that had Matt and Rand on the road, sort of, you know, troubadouring their way through the countryside. Indeed. The, and, uh, the farm boys sword and dagger tour. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Rand is, you know, coming along as a flute prodigy. Like, I know. <laughs> One alternate future for Rand, alas, that he's clearly not going to get to pursue. Right. But I'm sure I can't. I can't say anything about alternate futures. You're not at that point in the books yes. yet. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I looked up a little bit in terms of how long Tom, Rand, and Matt are on that boat. Yeah. Floating down uh, the Arendelle. Uh, there are. They're on there for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks. And that's mm. pretty much all the instruction Rand gets in the flute, which means that Rand is a flute prodigy. That's, <laughs> it, it's something, you know, I can't tell you how long it takes to learn how to channel properly. Right. You know, same same way as nobody can tell you how long it takes to learn to use the force. It's something that uh, it's as easy as the narrative needs it to be but in terms of actually learning how to play a musical instrument that's something that you can have a pretty good sense of especially if you've ever tried to learn to play a musical instrument mm. and a, a week and a half to two weeks tops to the point where you're gigging in bars and clubs as you're running <laughs> away from the minions of the dark one is pretty impressive like there's a line of about i think Matt mentions that Rand's the shepherd, he plays the pipes. So it's possible he might have played a woundwood instrument of some sort before. Hmm. But uh, he's he was clearly not good at it or not good enough to mention before Tom starts treating, training them. Right. And Tom kind of falls into the role of uh, J.K. Simmons' character in Whiplash. Because <laughs> if you go back and read read the the stuff tom is pretty hard on the boys like mm -hmm. he he refuses to let them learn to play the harp because he says something about their clumsy hands right and and he the closest he gets to a compliment is like i think he says that rand has some aptitude for the flute right. which, which probably means that rand is an amazing flute player and picks <laughs> it up really quickly but tom is not the kind of teacher that the is free and open with praise. Right. 
So I don't know if you know this, but I actually played the flute in middle school and high school. I did not know that. I did. And so I I can say with authority that it took me weeks just to learn to do the embouchure, which is how right. you hold your mouth to blow correctly into the opening of a flute. And, you know, you have to you have to really direct the air in a way that makes it go into the flute, which is it's actually really hard. Um, so yeah, he does, I agree. He, and then, and then there's the fingerings, right? Like knowing which right. notes to play by moving your hands, which way, like it's all sort of. And then working <laughs> all that together to actually, um, actually play a tune. Right. Because it's one thing to sing a song. Right. It's another thing to sort of be able to pick up the intervals between the notes when you're playing an instrument. Mm-hmm. And Rand has like a stated um, set list of at least 12 songs or so that he's learned by the time that they're they're on the road. And the embouchure is a big thing. And that's why I think uh, there's a mention of the pipes, just right. to cheat it a little bit, that yeah. maybe Rand has has some experience making a woodwind noise. Because right. I learned, uh, I, was, I was a clarinet player mm. in junior high and, and high school. So I also know of the embouchure, although the embouchure is much more important in a flute instrument. Well, you had to deal with a reed, which is a whole different ballgame. So. True. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it's fair to say that he, like, I think it's fair to say, maybe you will agree or disagree, that he is like the Luke Skywalker of the flute playing in terms <laughs> of like force aptitude or flute aptitude. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, uh, close your eyes and, and play a song. And the third time he, he nails the wind that shakes the willow. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. <laughs> And Matt, you know, who's the cynical, paranoid version of himself at that point, just rolls his eyes and looks away. Right, right. He's too busy juggling. Would, do, uh, I don't know anything about juggling. How is Matt the Luke Skywalker of juggling, or is that easier to pick up? I, I don't know. I can juggle like three balls, and mm. I think I picked that up in a day. Okay. So I think I think juggling might be easier, but, you know, maybe if you know somebody who juggles on there, they'll disabuse me of that notion fairly <laughs> quickly and say, no, Matt is every bit as... Uh, a juggling project prodigy as Rand is on the flute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I love about Rand's set list, as you so wonderfully called it, is how uh, they get to places where the songs are known by different names. And, like, that's just such a lovely piece of world building to me. But I was trying to think, like, I don't know that much about folk music, but it feels, that feels real. Is that? Oh, it's. It's absolutely real, and it's one of the things that I I uh, also responded to and loved when first reading the series because, like I said, my dad grew up on Irish folk, and there's plenty of of Irish folk songs that are, are the same melody. There's just different lyrics because somebody mm. took a popular me- melody and had something that they wanted to say and rewrote it. Um, so, like, you'll have. The Wearing of the Green, which is an Irish folk song, and then you'll have somebody else that a satirical set of lyrics called The Orange and the Green with the same melody. Mm. And it's because they were sort of, you know, for want of a better expression, taking a piss at the <laughs> overly patriotic um, song before. But there's a bunch of reasons why you might do that. And sometimes it's just making the, the words fit to the 
the place that you're in. Um, one, one example I wanted to talk to you specifically about, mm. because I know I, I know that you're a fan of the artist that eventually took a hold of the song. There's a, a Civil War tune called Aura Lee, A-U-R-A-L-E-E, not O-R-A-L-Y or A-U-R-A-L-L-Y, but Aura Lee. And the, the melody is, Orally, my orally, hair of golden brown, which you might recognize because I do. Yeah. later in the uh, later in the fifties, somebody took that same melody and rewrote it as a hit for Elvis Presley. Right. It's, it's "Love Me Tender," but that song has been kicking around since eighteen thirty something, at least in terms of what we actually know as the uh, the melody itself. Oh, dang. That's so neat. Uh, yeah. So, so that just, I mean, that just makes me love that section of the book all the more. Cause maybe, maybe, you know, Robert Jordan didn't have like a strong handle on the flute, the intricacies of the flute, <laughs> right, right. but he clearly like got some stuff about folk music. He did. He did. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of a big switch and, uh, let me know if you want to come back to something else, but I wanted to talk about Tom's guitar that has a mustache. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's exciting to see. And it's, it's kind of curious, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like obviously going to be more of an appeal to a modern audience. But the big question for me now is, is how does that affect Rand? Is there a flute in the show? Does like, I d- it literally does, did not occur to me until you just said that that they might take that part out? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a big a big question for me because a guitar is something that like when they talk about Tom and the harp, he's kind of using the harp less as a melodic accompaniment and more as sort of background music while he's telling stories right my memory of the text is correct when he's just playing music he plays the harp or the flute um so the question is does tom give rand the guitar is there a flute as well is Mm. randall thor going to be you know now the Jimi hendrix (laughs) of randland yeah, I do. I played. I play a very little guitar, and I'm actually learning the ukulele right now. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's one of my pandemic hobbies is ukulele. I borrowed one from a friend over the summer, and like really loved it. Especially because with my like carpal tunnel, uh, guitar is really hard for me now. It's just. It's, I'm sure. And I have little hands too. I don't have big hands. Like my fingers are not long. So gripping was always like I, I really had to build up my grip strength. And at this point in my life, I'm like, I just might not be able to manage it anymore. Um, so ukulele is, is a nice uh, alternative for me. But but I'm looking at this guitar. You know, go ahead. Sorry. And it's so por- it's so portable. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. If you have played guitar before, I think the ukulele is much easier to pick up. Um I've been playing for a while myself, and it's just a fun instrument. Yeah, although it's messing me up because I still sort of know some guitar chords, and ukulele is so different. So I have to like, right, right, you know, get, get out it. of my head what a G is, as it were. Yeah, <laughs> but like, kind of like an embouchure on a different instrument. Once you've sort of picked up that your fingers have to make these weird shapes, it's easier to learn the correct shapes for the new 
stringed instrument, I think. Yeah. At least that's been my experience. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, I definitely picked up the uke faster than I picked up guitar. So, but to go back to Tom's guitar. So this is a six string guitar. It's hard for me to tell how big it is based on the, you know, image. There's not like a person holding it. Yeah, that's, that is kind of, it is kind of tough to tell scale. I think, um, my initial impression is it's about the size of a Gibson LG one, which is a LG stands for ladies guitar. So it's a smaller bodied guitar that Gibson made around the time of the second world war specifically to, uh, sort of attract women to the instrument. Interesting. Um, but that was my gut reaction based on the, the video they showed, which would be plenty loud enough for accompaniment and, uh, plenty portable enough as well i think it's i think it's a good looking instrument it's different enough that it has a place in a fantasy world but also familiar enough that i think people will latch on to it yeah i now i'm looking at it and i think you know it's interesting because it's not it's not it doesn't look shiny to me as a just as a for example like it doesn't look like the the guitar of a court bard for example like we right. have gotten to that right. reveal so now we can talk about that like this does not look like a court bard's guitar as it were so right so and you can only imagine that the harp would have been pretty fancy like the flute has like gold fretwork on it or something crazy like that um so I wonder what that means for, yeah, which that, instrument this is. And, and that's, well, I mean, th that's a good question about how, how the show will treat Tom mm. as opposed to Rand. And I can see, I can see maybe it isn't the, the, the guitar of a, a court bard, but something, but maybe the, they'll give a flashback because I don't think they can lose Tom's background no. um, to that extent. But I can also see him like, breaking his the harp or the former guitar on the way out the door and just <laughs> leaving the pieces behind like fuck you on out yeah i have this great image in my head now of him doing like the whole guitar smash on the yeah, you yeah. know the steps of the cat palace and <laughs> <laughs> going uh, going full pete townsend yeah <laughs> i won't i won't get fooled again yeah right oh amazing oh that's great um Let's so, see. Yeah, go ahead. Can I ask you a question? Yes, It might please. not be one that you've given any thought to. So what do you think the breakout hit of uh, the Wheel of Time series will be? Because, you know, like Game of Thrones had its reigns of Castamere. Right. And then, um, and then all the Hobbit movies. You yes. have Pippin's song at the in Return of the King. Then you have right. the Mountain Song, which is arguably the best thing about any of the Hobbit <laughs> it's really well done there's something beautiful to that so I'm looking at the songs mentioned and for the ones that he actually provides lyrics for you have The Wind That Shakes the Willow you have of course Jack of the Shadows which you haven't come to yet but is is there yeah. yeah and it has lyrics um, Coming Home from Tarwin's Gap I think has some lyrics um and a couple of other songs in there, but I'm I'm honestly curious. What do you think uh, could be the breakout single? Also, The Witcher. The Witcher had a huge song. Right. Oh my God, it's in still stuck in my internet head. Response. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, The Witcher is a good comp, actually. I think so. My 
Well, so if I'm thinking about it with my, like, analytical brain as opposed to my personal impulse brain, um, I'm thinking that they're going to lean hard into a song for the Great Hunt. And I can't think if there's an exact... I know that Tom has, like, a declaiming cycle, as it were, right. a story cycle around the Great Hunt, but I don't know that we've seen a song with lyrics for it. He, yeah, I think he does a bit of the ballad of Rogosh Eagle Eye. Right, or, right. But that's more of a prose recitation. Yeah, but, exactly. you know, if they give the composer a free hand, I'm sure he could come up with something. I like the, I can't remember his name. I forgot to jot it down for the notes. But I like some of the other stuff that he's done. I think he did um, the, the score for The Good Fight mm. on CBS and some other shows. And it was pretty interesting music so looking yeah. forward to hearing actual parts of the score i will say that especially because you did a little version i'm dying for a wind that shakes the willows that's catchy personally do you have yeah. what's your favorite um you know i the wind that shakes the willow has got to be up there for me i've heard i actually listened to some other people's versions online Ooh. um i did hear an awesome jack of the shadows Mm. Um, one, one thing about the wind that shakes the willow is that's one of the obvious parallels in terms of um, title mm. that jumped out to me because there's a sad Irish song called the wind that shakes the barley. Oh, and it al- also involves the the death of of one's loved one tragically. Mm. Um, but yeah, a, a really lovely version of of that song could be could be great. It would. It would just be nice to hear some of those things yeah. actually brought to life. Yeah, I'm really hopeful that they will keep... Because so, it's so atmospheric, right? Like, it really does bring you into the world in a sensory way. Yeah. It sort of sets... And that's something that really... Yeah, it makes a, a huge difference in translating a work of fiction from the page to a screen adaptation. Mm-hmm. Like you can actually hear what these sounds are because sometimes an author gets it right. And sometimes an author doesn't like just in, ter- in general terms about writing about music and my feeling about it. Yeah. Um, sometimes it seems like I know George R. R. Martin did this a lot where he would rewrite lyrics to songs that he knew. So he had a, a sense of the, the rhythm and the meter. Hmm. Um, so those songs read pretty well as songs on the page. Um, then there was N.K. Jemison's uh, The City We Became, mm-hmm. where she was, you know, one of the characters is a, a former old school hip hop MC. And those lyrics really read as old school hip hop rhymes. And, mm. you know, notably, she had Jean Grey's proofreading help to make sure yeah. that they they worked. So that's probably why it's one of the better examples that. I, I know of in recent memory. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, you have David Mitchell's Utopia Avenue, which while I enjoyed the book, some of those songs read more as like long prose mm. instead of songs. Mm-hmm. And you can get away with that when you're Dylan, but when you're right. in a rock band <laughs> that is as he's describing it very well, so I'm like, I'm not sure these songs work with the situations you're describing. So it, it's one of those things where just from a reader's standpoint, sometimes it works great. Sometimes it doesn't work so great. But if it's handled well uh, when you're doing an adaptation, it can be really huge. Like 
nobody wants to hear Reigns of Castamere at a wedding. Right. <laughs> and, now, and, but they'll they'll recognize the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody goes around singing "Toss a Coin to Your Witcher." Like it's oh, just... yeah. you, you can't get you can't get rid of it. No, you can't. It is the earwormiest. Uh, that's so interesting, you know, because now I don't know that I paid that much attention, honestly, uh, in other books, and I don't know. I know I didn't pay that much attention when I read The Wheel of Time at an earlier age. I just don't... Which is actually funny to me now that I think about it because, you know, I have some Scotch-Irish heritage and I had a a cassette tape of Celtic, you know, folk songs. It was sort Mm -hmm. of a broader uh, range that I would listen to when I was trying to get to sleep uh, sometimes because I just had a lot of trouble sleeping as a kid and, like, certain kinds of repetitive things would really help me fall asleep. And I, I, like, still know a lot of the words. In fact, I went to Ireland a couple of years ago on a walking tour and we went to this pub after, like, a long day walking around along the cliffs and, like, had shepherd's pie and cider and it was amazing and there was a band doing traditional songs and I was able to like sing along which made me oh that's great it made me so happy yeah and I hadn't realized those lyrics were still in there but it's funny I never really I don't think I've thought much about music and books before doing this reread so it's like this whole new world of craft has been opened in my brain now I'm gonna start paying attention to it yeah I think I think honestly uh your podcast starting really gave me the opportunity to go back to those songs and see if I could come up with something that made sense, at least in my head for Mm -hmm. what those melodies might sound like. And there were some edits, like there's a couplet in the wind that shakes the willow that I couldn't figure out how to reasonably (laughs) fit into the actual song. um, Or at least the song I was writing. Mm -hmm. And curiously enough, the versions that I've uh, listen to online of other people's covers have all either ditched that couplet or changed it to make mm. it make more sense. Um, and he gets better. I think it was much easier to put a melody to Jack of the Shadows. So he gets better at writing lyrics huh. as the series progresses, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. Which is interesting. Yeah. But, and, you know, Scotch Irish folk music is sort of the Renaissance Festival default yes. setting for most fantasy literature it's you know, true. It, do, it doesn't have to be and the interesting thing and this will come up as you continue to talk about the series like uh the interesting question is to ask is that really what this music sounds like because of what you learn about the world later yeah or does it sound completely different you've you talked a bit about the different um current in, influences on the various nations of randland but mm-hmm. it, it in terms of how music um, travels from one culture to another, it's a lot easier when you have essentially one single landmass mm-hmm. and people trading songs and stories as they they go long before the advent of anything that might make, you know, overseas travel possible. Mm-hmm. So there's a mess of sounds in there that I don't think, you know, this... Uh, it's using the easy shortcut, but it could sound like nothing like what we've discussed at all, which would be kind of neat. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that. I was thinking because, you know, the we've talked a little bit uh, about how uh, diverse the world of Wheel of Time is, especially compared to a lot of other Western fantasy. You know, it's clear that his influences came from 
Asia came from India, came from, you know, Polynesia, came from all over these different places. And and I think it would be oh, I now I really hope that they do this. It would be interesting if the composer and the and the folks in charge of the music went outwards for musical inspiration in the same way that, you know, this is not an all white cast, unlike, you know, Lord of the Rings, exactly. for example. Yeah. I mean, the, the instruments mentioned, like, by text, in the right. text that I, I wrote down, are the harp, the flute, the zither and drum, and the dulcimer, which is all pretty standard kind of fantasy instrumentation. But I don't think it necessarily has to be that for the show, or that yeah. it should be that for the world itself. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So, oh, th- yeah. so that makes the guitar kind of interesting, because mm. at this point... Um, with the the export of Western culture, you, you'll find guitar players and guitar music in most parts of the world, but it can sound really different because the guitar is a pretty flexible instrument. Yeah, yeah. I got obsessed this year with um, Cambodian rock band. <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar? I am not, but now I'm going to to look it up. It's a so it's a play. Oh gosh, now I'm like gonna I'm I'll put links to the actual stuff in the show notes, but there's a play that is based on a actual band uh and um their sound is like it's like surf rock but with, you know, Southeast Asian influences and it's amazing um and now i'm just thinking like yeah it's you can tune a guitar to any number of interesting you know uh tunings that aren't necessarily a standard western bass um and and you can do all kinds of cool things with it so yeah that i do hope that they take that opportunity in the same way that they've taken all of these other opportunities because the world allows for it it was meant you know to be this sort of international uh, blend, you know, places where there are distinct cultures, but they're also interacting with each other all the time. So it's it's interesting. Um, okay, so we've I feel like we've covered so much ground, but there's a thing I'm dying to hear your theory about because we okay. we, we briefly talked about it in, in DMs when we were setting this up. So you mentioned that you have this whole thing about Howl Goad, the Four Kings Dark Friend, and his comparability to a record executive. <laughs> yes, yes. Hal Goad is a sleazy record guy. Yeah. Um, and it goes back to like my my sort of joking comment about their their Andor tour, uh, Matt and Rand's Andor tour, mm-hmm. um, because it this is one of my favorite sections of the book, and for reasons that didn't. I don't think I fully appreciated when I first read it, but as I became more of a working musician, it's like this, this is a, a, a gigging indie tour. Rand and Matt are two indie players that are just basically going across the country, trying to keep uh, gas money for the van, occasionally sleeping in really crappy conditions. Um, and then one day at, uh, at this gig, this guy with power and money, comes up stays for the entire show <laughs> and they're not they're not sure what to make of him and then he comes back stage after the show and literally offers them a deal to sell their souls <laughs> and then despite all the terrible things that happen on uh, on the tour 
that are happening to Rand and Matt at the time. I don't think this is much of a spoiler, but later in the books, uh, Rand looks back on this time fondly. And as anyone can tell you, as, as anyone who's done a tour like that can tell you, like even the bad stuff sort of gets folded into, you know, I was just on the road doing the thing that I, that I love to do. And I kind of wish I was still there. And yeah. that's one of the things that I, if, if they don't have Rand play an instrument, I will miss it for him hmm. because it's one of those things that I think, uh, he still enjoys even when things are going wrong later in the series. Yeah. And he gets so far away from his roots. And so it's so true. I hadn't thought about it, but this is like the most sort of grounded time for him, despite the intense danger and stress that they're under. Yeah. And he, I think he thinks at one point, it's like he wouldn't be ashamed to play at bell time now. Right. And it's like, no kid. <laughs> you're, you're killing it. Right. Based on everything that you've mentioned so far, you are, you are the best damn flute player those people have seen in years. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I love that. I love how I like am never not going to picture now Howell Goad as record executive. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. So there's some real money. You yeah. Some real money. Just come with the dark one. Right. And uh, you can you can play the flute whenever you want. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Wouldn't it just be easier? The devil went down to four kings. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, Lord. All right. Well, let's see. I think we've hit on all of my talking points. Do you have anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to no, talk about? I, th I think those covered all. Oh, uh, except for the uh, Elsa Greenwell as the random farm. Yes. Groupie. On... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was the last point that I, I don't think we touched on. Oh, that's pretty good, too. Now I'm, like, thinking back to Almost Famous or something, and her as well. Right, the... <laughs> right. Her as the uh, Kate... Um... Kate Hudson, is it? Yeah, the Kate uh, Hudson character, who, yeah. who later goes on to try to learn to be a rock star or a channeler herself. Yes, that's right. Doesn't quite doesn't quite work out for poor Elsie. Poor Elsie. <laughs> Oh, amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for diving into all of this stuff. This is so, it's so interesting. Oh, it was my pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Happy to be on the show. Happy to support and uh, look forward to listening to more of it soon. Yeah. So if you were going to direct people to listen to some Wheel of Time music, where should they go to find that? Yours Ooh. or others? Ooh, your, mine, mine is not... Mine is exclusive uh, oh, all right, to then. that email I sent you at okay. the moment. Although I, I do kind of like some of it, so maybe I'll do something with it. Um, there's a lot of great um, performers on YouTube that mm. you just look up by the titles of the song. You know, look up Jack of the Shadows or The Wind That Shakes the Willow. Or uh, I think I found think I found a Coming Home from Tarwin's Gap as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. But generally, if... If you're committed enough to do one song based on the Wheel of Time, the artist will probably have a couple more as well. Sure, sure. Fan music. I'm familiar with fan art. I'm familiar with fanfic. Fan music is not something I've thought a lot about or done much research into. So you're you're unfamiliar with the term filk? 
Filk! Oh, you know, now that you say it, that is a thing I just, I think I read it one time and I had to look it up. I was like, what is Filk? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's basically folk music with a fantasy bent. And, yeah. and a lot of the times, a lot of the times it's, uh, some of the times it's parody, but sometimes it's pretty much what I did. And you're writing an original piece of music to accompany something you found in a novel you liked. Right. Right. Or writing something inspired by that novel that you liked. I have a feeling this is going to become a rabbit hole. I will go pretty far down. <laughs> I hope so. It's it's a fun rabbit hole. Awesome. I, well, I think I, I think Sean and McGuire. I think I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right. But you are, yeah. Won won a few awards for filking actually. Right. So there's there's a pedigree. Right. And doesn't Jonathan Coulter do some stuff? Is that, Colton oh, is that does, mostly parody, Colton? Um, you know, it's it's not really parody. Colton doesn't do a whole lot of parody, but he does original songs that I think could be considered filk, especially like the ones about the giant squid or the vampire. Right. Right, right. Ugh, it's a whole world out there. It's a whole world. It is a whole world out there. That's awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, do you want to tell the people where to find you otherwise? Sure. You can look me up on Spotify or Apple Music, any of the major streaming services, or come to my website, BrianDunnMusic.net, and I think there are links to both Spotify and iTunes directly from that site. Awesome. Brian with Brian with a Y, <laughs> done with two N's. <laughs> Got to spell things out. Uh, all right. Well, I think we'll wrap up there. Thank you again, Brian. Oh, I, it was my pleasure, Jen. Great to talk to you.